Today, the last week I said I, I preached on one point, and today I'm talking. I changed the name for the next for these. The, what I want to talk about today to the true focus. What is the true focus of the church? Uh, we see that last week I called it foundation, and I would have just called that part the f- focus. But this is the true focus of the church. And so, if you want to stand with me, we'll read uh, five verses, and it says this. And begin in verse 4 of Acts chapter 1. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth or the end of the earth. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' precious name, we step into the throne room of heaven. And as we stand here before your throne, Father, we ask you, not for our own sake, not for our own glory, not for our own benefit, but Lord, we ask that you move in our hearts and our lives and our minds. And God, we pray that you would show up and show off. And that today, Lord, you would, uh, Father God, that you would today, in the name of Jesus, you would act. You would send through Jesus the Holy Spirit. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you already did that. Thank you that all of us that are saved are baptized in the Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you that uh, today we can be filled by the Holy Spirit. And we pray right now, in the name of the Father, Jesus, in the name of Jesus, Father, Jesus, that you would... Fill us with the Holy Spirit. In Acts 2, you said that the Bible says that the Father gave you the Spirit to pour him out into our lives. And so, Lord, we pray that individually. We pray that for the church. We pray, Lord, that people that are here today, that are outside of a relationship with you today, will say yes to you. And, Lord, we thank you for dying on the cross for us, that we could say yes to the Father's will. That we could know you as our Savior that we could know you as our Lord, that we could be filled with the Holy Spirit. But Lord, as a church, Father God, we pray as a church, at Calvary Baptist Church, that we would not be a church in name only, but we'd be a church in deed. And that, Lord, we would minister, we would love, we would serve, we would give, and we would share the gospel with every creature until our last breath, until the last place we ever go. We will always be a witness for you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Wow, I, I left the, the, the thing I want you to remember, I left it the same as last week. If you wrote down last week, that's great, but you can write down again. If we're going to be the church, we've got to act like the church. I, I, could, I could tell you I'm a surgeon, but you would not want me to operate on you because I am not one. And it's one thing to confess it, it's another thing to live it. And so there are a lot of people who confess to be a Christian, but they're not living it. There's some people living it that aren't confessing it, and I think they ought to confess it as well. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say... That, thank you. Some of y'all are redeemed. So, okay. Let's all say so together. So. That's right. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So. Um, so. In other words, you ought to tell people, hey, God's redeemed me. God has given me a new life. And, and so we ought to confess it, but we ought to, ought to also live it. And so that could be a theme for this whole book study, which only the good Lord knows how long it's going to take us to go through it all. But if we're going to be the church, First, you got to act like the church. And so as we begin to lay this foundation, we see some of the movement. And the first chapter of Acts is setting us up for the second chapter when the Holy Spirit came in a way that we had not seen before and uh, we'll never see again because the work is complete. 
And, and here in, in verse 4, it says, While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. And some people quit reading right there. Some people think, hey, yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm supposed to sit right here. And he, he says, until, until, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. I want you to know some things that you we can never forget if we're going to be the church. If we're going to act like the church, be the church, some things we can't forget. And the first thing is that we have to be focused on the power of God and the Holy Spirit. Now, that is one for us by Jesus. And, and I'm not saying emphasize the Spirit to the detriment of the Father's Son, but also not the Father to the detriment of the Son of the Spirit, or the Son to the detriment of the Father of the Spirit. It's three in one. We believe in God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay? And so we have to come to, to God, the Father, in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. The church is to operate in the power of the Spirit. And Galatians says, walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. We're supposed to operate and move by the Spirit. The Spirit is supposed to, in, to fill us and indwell us. You see, our, we get our theology right, we get our practice wrong. We know what we believe sometimes, but we don't do what we believe. And so you got to have that balance. you got to know the right thing to do the right thing. If I only know the wrong thing, I'll do the wrong thing because that's all I know. Pastor Mac used to say, people only do what they know and they only know what they've been taught. So let me teach you something real quick. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is what happens to you when you get saved. If you are not baptized in the Holy Spirit, you are lost, period. That's the, that's the theology of the Bible. What do you mean by that? Well, think about this. It's very simple to understand this because we're in a Baptist church. So most of you understand what baptism is. But in Romans 8, it says that you have to, in Romans 8, 11, that if you don't have the Spirit of God, you're not His. You have to be baptized in the Spirit to be saved. He is the earnest, the down payment of our salvation. The reason I know I'm going to heaven is because heaven lives in me already. In the person of the Holy Spirit. Okay? And so, let me just explain it in a very practical way. What does the word baptism mean? As a Baptist, you should know this. What does the word baptism mean? Okay, that, yeah, that, that is, that is a, uh, what is happening, but what does the, the actual word baptize? Immerse, right? It means to, to put underneath. To, to completely go underwater is what it means to immerse. And when a ship sinks, it's baptized in the ocean. The Titanic got baptized. That's the Greek word that they would use. Why well, into the Titanic? Oh, it got baptized in the North Atlantic. What do you mean? It sank. So if I'm baptized in the Spirit, what does that mean? I'm totally immersed in the Holy Spirit. He's above me. He's below me. He's around me. And if I were to fall in the water, and after two seconds I panic, and I'm underwater, and as a mammal, what will happen to me in a, in a few minutes? I'm going to drown. And what will cause that drowning? I'll breathe in the water. Thank you, Mark. We just sang a song that says, it's your breath in our lungs. Do you know what the word spirit means? Wind. Pneumos is a Greek word. Pneumatic tool, air driven. That was for the guys. (laughs) I don't have an air compressor. I'll borrow yours. But anyway... And so the Bible says about the, the, the writing of the scripture that holy men of old wrote as they were moved, as they were inspired is the word we translate it to. But it means the wind filling the sails 
and moving the boat. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit. He fills our sails and moves us. And we are the what of Christ? Body of Christ filled with the Holy Spirit who communicates God's will to us. And when we pray, we commit our desires to God through the Spirit who interprets when we don't know how to ask right. You see what I'm saying? You with me? And so God, the Holy Spirit, baptized me in salvation. Now, after baptism, after salvation, the Bible commands me to be filled with the Spirit. In other words, I am to, well, I am to be moved by the Spirit. I am to be filled by the Spirit. But I want you to understand that a little bit better, too. How much liquid can I put in a container? How much liquid can I put in a quart container? A quart. What if I put a rock that big in it? Now how much liquid can I put in it? Not as much, right? Not as much. So to be filled with the Spirit is not that I get more of God because I've got all the God I'm going to get. To be filled with the Spirit is the guy gets more of me. That I empty myself of selfishness and my own desires and what I want and what I think and what I desire. And what I clog my life up with living in this world. And as I empty myself, I make more room for God to fill me. Because he'll fill me to the nth part that I give him. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So it's not, it's not that mystical, but it does mean that I have to come to Christ. Because I want you to just turn over to Acts 2. I know I'm going to preach on it, you know, in a year or two. I'll get to this first. But in Acts 2... Beginning in verse 30, it says, being therefore a prophet, talking about David, you can read verse 29. Well, I'll go to 29. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us this day. See, before that, he's quoting David. And he's saying what David had written about, uh, about Christ. But it does, but David wrote it as if in first person and we know it didn't apply to David because he's dead. He's still in his tomb. Being therefore a prophet and knowing God had sworn an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne. Verse 31, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. In other words, when Jesus died, he went to the place of the dead. That's what the word Hades means. Hades is not hell, two different places. He went to the place of the dead. And on one side is hell, one side is paradise. And Jesus takes those who are waiting in paradise and he takes them and he leads them to heaven. You've probably heard somebody said, when Jesus died, he went to hell. No, he went to paradise. That's what he said to the guy on the cross. Today you'll be with me in paradise. We're going to go to paradise, set all the prisoners free, we're going to take them to heaven. And he ain't going to stay dead in the tomb long enough for his flesh to start to rot. So he died on Friday and on Sunday he was gone. I don't know about you, but I just want to go, amen. (laughs) Jesus has gone out of the tomb. He's alive. David's still in his. So he wouldn't see corruption. This Jesus, verse 32, God raised up. And of that, we all are witnesses. We saw it. We've talked to him. We've touched him. We watched him eat fish. He's out of the tomb. In verse 33, Peter says, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having, and here's what I want you to catch, received from the Father, notice the term here, the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing 
and hearing. Look back again at, at, uh, at verse 4 and 5. In verse 4, to wait for the promise of the Father. What was the promise of the Father? That the Holy Spirit would come on them. And you combine those two and here's what you understand. I don't know how this works because I'm not God and I wasn't there. I'm just going to tell you what we know, but what is very difficult for us to understand. Somewhere in eternity past, God, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit got together and said, what are we going to do? Now, I'm going to put this in as human terms as I can, just help you understand it. And Jesus said, I got this idea. I don't know if you guys would be up for this or not. Now, of course, they're one mind, what essence, one spirit. And I'm not blaspheming God at all. Just helping you kind of understand in human terms so you can understand what happened. Jesus said, I got this great idea. Let's create a universe. Let's, let's make so many galaxies and stars that will blow the mind of the creatures we make that will live on one planet in the universe. And we'll call that planet Earth. And we'll stick it out in one corner of a galaxy we'll, they'll call the Milky Way. And we'll make these creatures, a bunch of animals and plants and things. And then we'll make a creature called a human. And that human's going to rebel against us and against our will. And because of that, we're going to have to create a place called hell and put them there. Except I'll go and I'll die in their place on a cross. And if they'll believe in me as the son of God, they don't have to go to hell. And God the Father said, well, how's that going to work? He said, I'll submit myself to your will, Father. If that's what you want, that's what I'll do. And the Father said, I'll make you a promise. If you'll do that, I'll let the Holy Spirit be under your control And you can give him to those people who believe in you. And the Trinity said, good idea, let's do it. The Bible says Jesus is the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. God thought up this whole thing and knew exactly what would happen before he ever said, let there be light. Now, if you haven't made the application, let me make the mind-blowing application of that to you. God knew he would put on flesh and die for you. And he did it anyway. He never had to make us. We are not an accident. We are not the result of an explosion. I do believe in the Big Bang Theory. God said it. Bang. There it was. I was talking to a lady at the Maple Festival yesterday. She was selling fossilized coral from a river in West Virginia. That caught my attention. Two reasons. Number one, I like rocks. Number two, I didn't know fossils grew in West Virginia. So I walked up to the table and I'm going, whoa, this is cool. What is that? Could you explain that to me? She said, that's a fossil of coral out of a river in West Virginia. I said, I'm from the coast. I didn't know coral grew in fresh water. She said, it doesn't. That used to be a sea, an ocean, a shallow sea. She said, believe it or not. I said, oh, I believe it. I read about that in Genesis. <laughs> to which she responded, well, I don't believe that. I said, well, that's okay. It happened everywhere. And I, and you know, I had to go, I had to move on because I, w- I wanted to go ahead and say, you explain to me how coral got in the mountains of West Virginia. But see, people believe this weird stuff because it takes more faith to believe a lie than it does to believe the truth. Y'all, y'all know about that guy came to church and he got all excited. He started going, Amen. And the usher went up to him and said, shh, shh, sir, 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 you're interrupting everybody. Be quiet. It's kind of a dead church, you know. 
So in a minute, preacher stumbled onto a truth. He said, hallelujah, praise the Lord, preach it, preacher. And the guy came up and said, sir, you got to calm down. He said, I'm sorry, but since I met the Lord, I've been so excited. I, I just can barely contain myself. He said, well, you may have met the Lord. You didn't meet him here, so be quiet. So a man, he got really carried away and he just about did a holy jig and they went and grabbed him and said, You've come with us. And they carried him out to the pastor's office. So pastor will be along in a minute to talk to you. Pastor went in there and as the pastor was approaching his office, he heard the guy in there just shouting and carrying on, praising the Lord. And he opened the door and said, man, what is going on? He said, oh man, I was just reading this National Geographic in your office. And it says that the children of Israel did not cross the Red Sea. There was a misinterpretation of the word. They crossed the Reed Sea and the water was only four inches deep. And they just walked across. And he said, well, what are you so excited about? He said, God drowned the armies of Egypt in four inches of water. <laughs> it's easier to believe the God who made it can do whatever he wants with it than it is to make up all kind of weird stuff. So somewhere in eternity past, God said, this is how we're going to do this. And when Jesus died on the cross, he fulfilled his part of the agreement. And the Spirit fulfilled his, as he submitted to the will of the Father. Now the Spirit submits to the will of Christ. And Acts 2.33 says, this he has poured out on the church. And in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit had come on all who believe. And people say, we need a Holy Spirit revival. We need another Pentecost. No, you don't need another Pentecost. The first one still works. You're baptized in the Spirit, but after salvation, you can be filled with the Spirit. And in fact, it's a command of the Scripture to empty yourself of other things that would hinder, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit who motivates and works in us. And so we got to be focused on our business. Look at verse 6 and 7. Now they came together. They said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Jesus has died, rose from the dead, been talking to them for 40 days. And now they say, hey, is, is it going to happen now? You're going to become the ruler? You're going to kick out Rome? You're going to be the political ruler? Is that going to happen now? And Jesus said, that's none of your business. Now, I know that sounds rude, doesn't it? Man, if you tell somebody that's none of your business, people get offended. But guess what? It's none of their business. Somebody comes and wants to gossip you, so that's none of your business and certainly none of my business. I don't need to hear that. Jesus says, no, that's none of your business. That's the Father's business. He has set the times and seasons by His authority. In other words, the kingdom, the political kingdom of Christ is going to come whether you do anything or not. He is going to come back. He is going to set up rule on this planet that we're on right now. Not the new one, on this one. That's why I don't worry about nuclear war. A decade or two ago, everybody's all worried about nuclear war. I still don't want anybody shooting a nuke at me. But, but, but they're not going to destroy this planet. Jesus is going to rule on this planet eventually. We may, we're going to mess up a lot of it. The Bible tells us in Revelation that we will. But we're not going to kill it all. And Jesus will set up his rule on this planet. It will become political. He said, but right now, don't worry about that. Because just talking about it ain't going to make it happen. It's going to happen anyway. Here's what you worry about, your business. That's what he's telling them here. So we got to remember and never forget that we're to be focused on the power of the Holy Spirit. We got to be focused on our business. And our business is to preach the gospel. You see, Jesus didn't deny the kingdom, but he did depoliticize it. It's not a, that we're going to grow and politically take over the world. We're going to spiritually overtake the world. Here's the deal. If everybody in the world was saved and filled with the Spirit, we wouldn't even need governments. 
Read Romans 13. The reason we have governments is they're lawbreakers. And some people want to deny they're lawbreakers. They think everybody's nice. Everybody's not nice. You got lawbreakers. So you got judges and police and others to punish the lawbreakers so the people that aren't lawbreakers can live a free and happy life. And that's how our government system was set up. We've messed it up since then, but that's how it was started. That's how it was supposed to work. And so, if everybody say we wouldn't even need government, but we do need government because men are lost. And so, it's our job as a church not to politically take over the world, but to spiritually overtake the world and establish Christ's kingdoms in the heart of, hearts of men. All right? Uh, Acts 2 tells us that. So, here's what the church needs to do. The biggest but of the Bible is right here in chapter 1, verse 8. But! Say, well, that sounded bad. You shouldn't have said that. (laughs) But means, forget what came before. Here's what you need to do. But means don't worry about that. Worry about this. The Bible is full of buts. It says, man, things were going bad, but God. I love, my favorite ones are, but God. Man, he can overcome anything and do anything. But, he says in verse 8, 1, you will receive power. Notice that. We are to live in a received power. The power is not in setting up an earthly kingdom. Power is in the Holy Spirit. He says here, you will receive power. It's a Greek word, dunamis. We get the word dynamite from it. And you hear preachers say that all the time. This dunamis is dynamite. Man's explosive and can do anything. And I got to think about that one day. Man, if you light off a stick of dynamite in here, what's going to happen? A lot of destruction, death. Horrible things. And then can you relight that stick of dynamite? No, it's spent. It's done. So I got to think about the word dunamis. Hmm, what else comes from dunamis? Oh, dynamo. An ongoing source of power. And though the Holy Spirit can certainly explode in our lives, I think the better sense of it is he is a generator that lives within the church. Generating power that we can access to do the work God asked us to do. God never gives us an assignment. He doesn't make provision. And the provision is the personal Holy Spirit. The job of Calvary Baptist Church is to lead Stanton to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we ought to be focused on. And don't forget... We are called by God to become his disciple and carry his message. And those are those have to happen simultaneously. We're, we're uh, continuously supposed to be growing in Christ, but we're also continuously supposed to be talking about Christ. And so as we become his disciple, we carry his message. And we live in the power that received power. It's not I have to generate the power. It's not you have to generate the power. The Spirit is the power. And when you put the generator inside, wow. I don't generate the power. He does it. And when you realize that, you realize that God is going to to do anything he's going to do. And when you come to judgment, when he gives you a reward for what he did through you, you're just going to take that crown off and say, that ain't mine. That's yours. Because you did that. All we were were yielded vessels. And God did the work through us. So we function without regards to borders. Notice where we will be a witness. And by the way, notice that it says you will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses. If you got a King James Bible, it says shall be. But shall be, will be, same thing. It doesn't say you might be. It doesn't say you'll have the power to be. It doesn't say you can be. It says you 
It's a fact. You will be. Now, if you read that backwards, it gets scary. The proof that you have the Holy Spirit is you are his witness. In this text. Now, the Bible says we have the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, patience, all that stuff. Long-suffering, good uh, self-control. That's, that's in Galatians 5. So that's part of the fruit of the Spirit in our life. Our lives are changed. When the Holy Spirit comes, He kills what we used to be in Adam and He raises up a new creation in Christ. And all those who are in Christ are a brand new creation. Old things pass away and everything becomes new. Man, that's power. Only God can come into your life and kill who you were and make you a brand new person from the inside out. That's, a, that's amazing power. And so we live in that power. And so we function without regards to borders. We, we, we have a received power from God. We, we don't recognize government lines. We recognize a world that is lost and going to hell. And so we go to Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost end of the earth to preach the gospel. We are a witness to what? We're a witness to the power of Christ. That word witness is the word martyr. The the, the the biggest way you can ever be a witness for Christ is to die for him. By the way, this is proof of the resurrection, especially amongst the twelve disciples, the eleven disciples that were left, and Paul. Many of them were put to death for their faith. And if they gotten together, eleven guys said, Hey, let's just pretend like Jesus rose from the dead and let's fool everybody. And then all of a sudden you hear click click. Oh, really? Is it you, you gonna stick with that story? Uh, maybe not. Men will not die for something they know is a lie. You got to believe it to die for it. I know people die for lies, but they believe it's true. So you're not going to get 11 men all willing to go to death over a lie that they conspired to say was true. That's a proof of the resurrection. You won't find that happening anywhere in human history. And so these men were witnesses to the resurrection... And the Bible says you will be my witness. Witness of what? After power has come upon you, you'll be a witness of the power of God to change a life. You'll be a witness of Christ's ability to make us brand new creations. The evidence of baptism in the Spirit is that we become a witness of Christ. We start talking about Jesus. And so we, we may not go to death, but the Bible says, Paul said, I die daily. Paul also got his head cut off. But until then, that was just another day for Paul. Because he was dead already in his mind. He said, I die daily. See, if you're saved, if you're not saved, you're born once and die twice. If you are saved, you're born twice and you only have to die once. And I've already gone through that death. So when, when my body quits functioning, I will not have died. I will, as Billy Graham said, I will have just changed the dresses. Because I, I cannot die. I will not die. I mean, I've, I've had people that suggested places I could go to. And I just look at them and say, sorry, can't do that. <laughs> Made arrangements to go to another place and those are not refundable. That reservation is set in blood. So we have a power to salvation. We have a power to proclaim. We have a power to live a life that glorifies God. 
And we are to be a witness, but I want you to notice something. We use this outline to talk about missions within our church, and many churches do that, and there's nothing wrong with that. That this is our Jerusalem, and then Judea is our county, and Samaria is the state of Virginia, and then the uttermost end of the, the earth goes to the end of the world. And that's fine. We understand what we're doing. But I want to point something out. From where they were standing 2,000 years ago when Jesus told them that, to Stanton, Virginia, we are the uttermost end of the earth. We're about as far away as you can get, just about. In other words, you and I sit in this auditorium because we're in a direct chain link back to that day. Those disciples preached the gospel ten days later at Pentecost, and the Spirit came on the church and filled the church, and they spilled out and they became a witness. And the gospel began to spread, and as it spread, eventually it spread for most of us, well, it spread into, into all of our ancestors' lands. Some of those apostles went into the Far East. They went into India, at least. Thomas, we believe, went to India. And, and, and they spread out. And those who came to these shores that were saved were descendants of the witness of these men. And that witness continued onto these shores. And the first white People that came to Virginia, when they ground at first landing there near Virginia Beach, they planted a cross in the sand and said, from this spot, the gospel will be proclaimed to this land. Did you know that? I don't know if you know that. But before they went up to Jamestown, they put a cross in the sand at the beach coming through into the, into the Chesapeake Bay and said, from this spot, the gospel will go forth. So here's the question. Is that going to stop with you? Is that going to stop with Calvary Baptist Church in Stanton? Or are we going to turn around and send out the witness from this place? Let me help you with that. Here's some stuff you can do. First of all, live in the power of the Holy Spirit. And by that I mean seek Christ daily. Remember Acts 2.33 the Spirit's given to Christ. Christ pours Him out on us. So you've been baptized in the Spirit if you're saved. If you're not saved, you need to be saved so the Spirit can immerse you in Himself. We're baptized into the body of Christ through the Spirit. And as we become part of that body, we become His witness. But the, the Spirit comes to us in the name of Jesus and the authority of Christ. And so every day, you need to seek Christ and seek to be filled by the Holy Spirit by seeking Christ. And so check in with God first thing in the morning. That's a practical way to do that. Very first thing in the morning, check in with God. Do that before you do anything else. Or at least number two or three. You might have to get a cup of coffee or something, but do that. Become conscious of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Become sensitive to His leading. If you're not conscious of the Holy Spirit, you won't be sensitive to His leading. But if you know that He's leading you, then you'll become sensitive to Him. How do you become sensitive to Him? By meeting and seeking Christ through the Word. Not by just meditating and hoping that... You get a feeling, but by finding out what is God's will written in his word and the spirit will come and he'll give witness to this word and he'll remind you, hey, you remember you read that? There's where I want you to apply it. Here's what I want you to do. And the God, the Holy Spirit, because he will never lead you contrary to this word. But if you don't know what this word says, you'll be susceptible to the lies of the devil. So you've got to read the word. You've got to be in the word. You've got to know what it says. And so 
Become conscious of his indwelling, though, and understand that God himself has taken up residence in your life. Paul said, in these clay pots, we carry the immeasurable weight of glory that God lives in us. I mean, I don't know about you, I, I cannot even comprehend that. And once you realize it, you're conscious of it, you become sensitive to his leading. And then secondly, take the gospel to those who are in the darkness here in the uttermost end of the earth. Uh, listen, last week, uh, Justin and Rachel stood before us and said that God's called them to go to Africa. They're going backwards. <laughs> They're going to back to close to where it started. That's awesome. I'm not saying down with that. That's awesome. But we think, hey, they're going to the uttermost end of the earth. No, you're living in the uttermost end of the earth. There's probably more lost people around you than in some places that we could send missionaries. My point is only this. Not that one place is better to go than the other. It's that everywhere you go, there's somebody God wants you to talk to about him. Period. And God may call you special like them to go to a place in Africa or Asia or Europe or South America or North America. But wherever you go, the point is to establish the church and help people grow in Christ and for them to preach the gospel. So how could you practically do that this week? I'm going to give you a very simple assignment. I, right now, I want you to think of a relative or a neighbor or a workmate or a friend who you think needs the Lord. Because you don't know if he needs the Lord or not, but you just go, nah, I don't know if that guy's saved. Some mornings I look at myself and don't know if I'm saved, but you know. I know I am because Jesus promised, not because I'm always the right guy. So find somebody in your realm of influence that you think needs the Lord. And then, secondly, write their name down and pray for them daily. Start praying for them. Ask God to move in their heart and life to want to know Christ. And the third one is the hard one. That was easy. Here's the hard thing. Look for ways to minister to them, to love them, to serve them, to be their servant, to, to bless them. And when they go, why are you doing this? You say, because Jesus loves me and Jesus loves you. And because he changed my life, I want to show Christ to other people. And lucky you, I picked you. You don't have to say that part. <laughs> you may do that in your head, but just love on them, serve them, minister to them. Because I'll, t- I'll tell you one reason for that. The world doesn't care how much you know until they know how much you care. But I heard a man a couple of weeks ago say something that really got a hold of me. We like to witness by what we call the Roman road. And if I asked y'all what's the first verse, everybody would tell me. Romans 3.23, for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. That's the truth. So I go out into this world. And when that was started, everybody kind of understood what a sinner was and wasn't. You go to anywhere in North America today. Renee's sitting over here. She works with comfort care with women who are in a crisis pregnancy situation. And they've been, maybe have been to places that have told them the solution to that is to kill that baby inside. And they have to minister to women who are caught up in that, in that line. They, and they are rescuing babies. And it's a great thing. But you go to our society. You go to our elect, most of our elected officials. And you say to them, for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. And you're a sinner. They say, well, you're a sinner. What do you mean? Well, you're against abortion. You're against gay marriage. You're a sinner. You're not nice to people. You say, they're crazy. Well, I know that and you know that, but they don't know that. They think you're a sinner for thinking they're a sinner. 
So all you can do is look like Jesus. Jesus didn't go around telling people they were sinners. He went around loving them and they just realized they were sinners. Because of the love of Christ. And by the way, if you hate people who want to get into a same-sex marriage, that's sinful. If you hate people who are caught up in the web of abortion, that's sinful. I hate abortion. It's the murder of the innocent. I know that people caught up in homosexual lifestyles against the will of God, but so is gluttony. You say, well, that's not as bad. Okay, you tell God that. I picked something we all are guilty of. I said I went to the Maple Festival yesterday. (laughs) I ate a bacon-wrapped hot dog and some maple cinnamon buns and donuts. And oh, my goodness. So I make it a little light so you don't either break down or throw rocks. But I'm serious. Do we love people? Or do we love our own self-righteousness? And God calls us to love people. Minister to people. People are hurting. The people to your right and left are hurting right now. We all have pain in our life. We all have need. And God calls us to love people. So find somebody who needs a lot of love and then be Jesus to them. Love them. And when they say, why would you do this? You say, because Jesus loves you. And he sent me to be him for you. Let me tell you about him. He loves you so much. He wants to invade your life and make it better than you ever imagined it could be. Because he died on a cross for your sin. And he planned to do that before he ever created you. How great the love of God. How vast, how sure. You cannot comprehend it.